Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again with another episode of the Nolcast. All right, Bud. So it's not just that I'm looking for excuses not to jump into the Louisville uh, recap immediately, but I will throw the topic to baseball immediately here and state that it's only unfortunate that the uh, Atlanta Braves and the Rays did not find themselves in the World Series. And I say that because we would have had an incredible triangle of Nolcast, Rays, Braves, all three sponsored by Louisiana Hot Sauce, and that would have been awesome. It's great that we have a sponsor of, of such magnitude, and we've been able to uh, kind of fall in line with them, and we're part of their walking into the sports arena. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, hey, they sponsor the Rays Radio Network, the Braves Radio Network, and the Nolcast, and we're ever so fortunate to be part of their plans. I'm, I'm excited to talk about tonight, man. I, I, you know, I was talking to my wife downstairs and trying to explain to her why if she could be so bad against the Louisville after just beating a top five North Carolina team. And she was pretending to care. And she's like, you seem excited. I was like, you know what? Like not as excited as I was last week, but I think that's what kind of makes the show good is we, we, we try to bring it each and every week. And, and like, we, we trust our process, which is that we stick, like we literally do the game review every time to try to pick up new things. And, Oh man, that was not a fun rewatch, dude. Um, we mentioned on the last show, not the instant reaction, although I, I may have mentioned it there, but some coaches on this team were concerned that some of these guys still have loser habits and, and a loser mentality. And, uh, you know, this team, this team quit. Uh, and not like full, like, you know, capital Q quit, but I, I think they did quit a little bit and it kind of snowballed for them. They reverted back to some old bad habits. They haven't really had time to teach the new good habits that you would, you know, want to have a year one to go through. That's why we keep saying this is a, a true year zero situation and was a zero situation when you fired Willie Taggart. It became, I don't know what, like a negative one situation potentially. I, I don't even want to get into that when, when, when COVID hit. So you're going to deal with this throughout the entire year. I, I'm not expecting this to get a whole lot better. It might look a little bit better because some of the opponents you're about to play are, are not as good, particularly on, on offense. I think you're going to play the four worst offenses you'll see all year other than the obvious one of, uh, of Jacksonville state in your final five games. But man, they, this team has some habits that they're not going to break this year. It might take a year. It might take two years to, to break, to break some of these dudes. And that's just kind of what you get. I think when you have a lack, lack of continuity and this much turnover on the roster and on the coaching staff in, in a short order. It's a team that, like, if I heard somebody else make this comment uh, for another school, I'd like, I'd probably sprain my eye sockets. Uh, honestly, this team needs a sports psychologist, in my opinion, desperately. I mean, I've never seen a team that that loses its composure, loses its its plan, and caves in in such a manner that is absurd, man. I mean, it is it's depressing to see how much and how quickly things go out the window for them. Uh, as soon as things start to go bad. So it's a, it's a tough overall review, and, and we'll jump into it here. But yeah, it's, it's a strange year for everybody. I agree with you in the fact that, you know, this year is going to be, I think for a lot of people, a kind of a write-off. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't dismiss you and I's frustration with some of the things we've seen. It certainly doesn't miss the frustration that the general fan base has, or I'm not trying to tell you not to be. Uh, just trying to tell you that it is a absolutely... Uh, bizarre year, and uh, Florida State certainly has a lot of things that it's going to have to try to work out of its system and do so in a manner that's uh, entirely unorthodox uh, when you're talking about dealing with a COVID year and some of the other complications that exist out there. 
Yeah, I, and I, I want to share something. I'm, I'm working on on a piece for you know for 24/7 my main gig, and I, I was talking to some administrators and some coaches today, and I, I got to tell you, man, like their vibe, and this is not, these are actually we're not Florida State people, and I know these coaches at, at FSU are are pissed right now and frustrated for sure. Man, the vibe I get just across the sport right now from people who actually work in the sport is very much one of. We just got to get through this. Hey, man, we're really happy that we're able to play because we're getting our checks, because we're not, ha- we're, we're not having to lay people off. Like we're, we're trying to just play enough games to where we, we can get our TV money and get back to some semblance of normalcy next year. I mean, they're having to fight things like they, you can't be a crazy hard ass at times right now. We talked about this in the preseason, but I'm going to bring this back up because this got brought up to me today. If you're on a team, that's having a bad year and you know you have the opt-out in your back pocket, if the coach is riding you like crazy and being a jerk and you're sitting there and you're thinking, wait, I got to go through all these COVID protocols and I can't hang out with my non-football friends at all and I can't go out and party and go to bars at all. They got to worry, man. Like they're, you know, If you get a couple, a couple dudes opt-out and then a couple more opt-out, then you're down to seriously scary numbers and, 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 and you're worse off and you're not getting the chance to, to develop that kid either full or in part during the year. This is just such a weird year. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the right word to, to, to use is, but like, I feel weird like judging this team or really any of these teams this year. You know what I mean? It feels like there's a couple teams that are legitimately in a title hunt chase. Clemson, Bama, Ohio State. Maybe Georgia, although they're playing a, a you know a mailman walk on quarterback, and then kind of everybody else out there, you know, and and everybody else that I talk to at least is kind of just in this get through it mode, and that sucks. But I guarantee you, most of the fans are like reacting and freaking out more than the people who actually work in the sport are. They're trying to find solutions, but they're not freaking out because I think they understand like this is legitimately. A really weird situation, and is not something that you would judge like that. I, I don't think, but it doesn't mean one of the solutions that can't be maybe uh, maybe a little little additional roster churn. We, we we got some news today from the from the NC2A, and that news, of course, uh, is that the NCAA is actually suspending the APR for two seasons as a reaction to all the COVID stuff, all the online classes. I think you're going to see pretty disparate results uh, everywhere. How many kids are passing? How many kids are are progressing? All that jazz. Uh, they put out a big long release. It also discussed how the APR is uh, unfairly punitive to HBCUs and and uh, underfunded institutions who lack the resources to basically tutor kids uh, just to the maximum possible capability and, and help them pass classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to actually going to rethink the APR, which could have been predicted immediately when it came out. Which is which is also why made what made Florida State's failure in it so ridiculously embarrassing. But uh, I editorialize. No, you you are one hundred percent right. Uh, but if you recall, one of the problems that was not created by Taggart, uh, but that he he had to try to work around, was that FSU's APR situation due to Jimbo's failure was so bad that they really had trouble churning the roster. And they had a real hard time getting guys off the roster uh, who they didn't think should be here anymore. Now, they also had a problem with coddling guys at times. But I think they kind of had to go to the coddling thing somewhat because they knew that like they, they had to be all carrot, no stick. And here, 
like, look, scholarships are guaranteed for four years, but there are ways around that. You can basically say, mm, he violated this team rule and this team rule. We documented it this time, this time. He, he missed, you know, missed tutoring X number of times. You know, didn't show up to practice once, that type of stuff. There are some guys on this team who you could, you could VOTR pretty easily and get them off if you want. And I don't think that's going to happen during the season, but I do think you're going to see some uh, <clears throat> quote unquote transfers out of this program in the off season. And we were already going to see some, but I will let y'all know that I do think this APR rule, suspending it for two years and then probably taking a, a look at, at a, a redo of it, it's not going to allow you to cut 20 dudes off the roster. Not that you'd want to. Uh, keep in mind if the APR does come back, like 20 and 21, or excuse me, 21 and 22 are still going to count. They're just not publishing it for, for two years. And, you know, it's, it's a four year rolling average. So it won't, it won't count, you know, quite as much as far as for the number of years. Uh, but I think this allows you to probably make an additional two or three moves that you otherwise wouldn't have made. And those can be sort of culture based moves if you want guys who you think maybe are, are not positives. And while they maybe can't be quite as hard on these guys as they want right now during the season, I guarantee you that they are sitting there and judging how these guys react to adversity. They're judging their buy-in and grading their buy-in and thinking about their long-term fit within this program. So just kind of keep that in mind throughout. I, I don't think there's a whole lot drastic you want to do during the season. Just get through the season. I guarantee you is a mentality of about 125 programs out there, maybe five who are in a title hunt are thinking differently, <laughs> you know? But that's just kind of the vibe from people working the game. Yeah. I mean, it's the mentality of almost every corporation and everything else right now. I mean, every, everybody's goal is to just try to get through this, make sense of what it is, uh, plan accordingly, and then go from there. I mean, if, if, uh, if Coca-Cola is having to lay off <laughs> massive swaths of its workforce, uh, a company that for 120 years is bottled for two cents, sold for a dollar, uh, then I think we have an idea of some of the craziness that's out there and the challenges that exist. And we have uh, talked about Coke, the World Series uh, mentality and everything else. But I think, Bud, we probably actually have to jump into the uh, review itself. We will jump off here uh, with the offensive side of the ball, remind you guys that it's brought to you by uh, the legendary <laughs> the legendary team of Chad and Shannon at uh, Hamilton Homelands. Great guys. Uh, Bud has worked with them uh, twice in the past directly. Uh, over 100 of our viewers, uh, or excuse me, over 100 of our listeners have now contacted them. Uh, Shannon, Chad, great people. Shannon will walk you through the whole process. Uh, Bud, I'll let you hit people with a phone number. And then after that, We'll jump straight into the goal review. 844-FSU-LOAN. By the way, I talked to Shannon today, and I literally called these guys, I called them legacy home loans. I was so pissed after that game, watching that. I was like, I just wasted four hours of my life, and now I got a podcast about it, and I love doing the podcast. But like, that's how angry I was, that I messed up an ad read that I know by heart. Like, Ingram will tell you, I usually don't even write this thing out in, in, the, in the show. I just, I just put home loans, and I'm like, all right, got it. So legendary, <laughs> legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans, 844 FSU loan. So Ingram, uh, these goals that FSU established, n- not really, not not really the best uh, performance by uh, by by FSU here. Um, unfortunately, you, w- which one do you want to start with? Yeah, you covered these on the instant reaction, so we won't dwell on them. But big swing and a miss, really here. 
entirely. I mean, the three and out percentage was what somewhere around 45%. If I remember correctly, I asked for drops to be held under two. LOL, slap me in the face, please. Uh, did, you, did you forget a zero on that? Like under 20? Because if so, yeah. I, think, I think they hit it. <laughs> That was that was pretty close. I don't know. We'll have to go back and watch the last drive. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then the explosive play rate of 15 plus, that I think they were a little bit closer to. But, yeah, uh, they almost hit that. Yeah, swing and a miss, swing and a miss, and a whole big, big swing and a miss on the third one regarding the drops. Do you know FSU actually had more explosive plays in this game than Louisville did? Is that is that like insane to you? Hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, when, when Louisville went explosive, they went, you know, uh, went nuclear. Right. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is right. that does surprise me. I mean, it does. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think the issue here is that if you go seventy yards for a touchdown, you do not actually have the ability to run another play that is explosive on that drive. Whereas if you're ripping yes, off like true. fifteen, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> when two two at uh, out ones the uh, the whole defense, there's not yet another opportunity to get an explosive play. You're right. It does put the cap at one. Yeah, so I think we have an interesting discussion here of like how much did teams really adjust? How much uh, was all the conversation that you and I and, and some others, uh, some disagreement out there, we'll certainly welcome that about the, the topic of sustainability and if this was going to catch up to them. And then also, um, man, I just personally have to interject. I don't know if Jordan Travis was entirely healthy uh, if every possibility, if every situation possible, you could, you know, create sliders that that make it uh, the best possible situation. And if you go down 21 to 7 with this offense, I think you're done regardless, regardless of whether or not uh, Travis is injured, regardless of how many uh, adjustments they've made. It, this game was over quick. I mean, real quick. And I and it, it pains me to say that. Uh, but but when it's 21 to 7, certainly it was 28 to 7 ball game. There's, there's not a thing you can do with this offense. Uh, when you find yourself in that much of a hole. We tweeted that from the Nolcast Twitter account. And people didn't appreciate it. But if you're a listener, like I was like, how many of y'all who follow the account are not listening? Like that's that's a little weird. Like we talked about this. Jordan Travis cannot throw you out of trouble. I didn't say he can't throw. But he cannot throw you out of trouble. He cannot bring you on a comeback with his arm, at least not against any kind of decent defense out there. We talk about this. It's not that like teams made huge huge adjustments to what FSU was doing offensively. I, I don't think. I think that teams, because they had 10 quarters of film on Travis now, basically said, okay, this is what he can do. In 10 quarters, he has not thrown the ball effectively from the pocket like more than one or two times. They don't ask him to do it that much, which is also a context clue, right? Mike Norvell, guy that likes throwing the ball from the pocket. Guy that likes pushing the football down the field. This is what he did at Memphis. Like they were very good. Like they would bomb it on UCF. They would also bomb it on Cincinnati. You know, good defenses and bad. Like he wants to hit you deep. He wants to have explosive passing plays. And while they were trying to do so with Jordan Travis via a lot of the play action stuff and try to scheme guys open, Travis did his best work off play action and largely like off schedule stuff. So just stuff that's outside the context of the actual play, scrambling around. Uh, if you keep him in the pocket, make crossover. Yeah, right. Oh my crossover. god. Yeah, got to give him credit for that. You know, if you keep him in the pocket, he he's not able to go through his reads. He's a one read guy. His arm is limited. You know what I mean? Like like he thrives on chaos. If you play him within a con within a construct of your defense, he he's not very good. You compound that, I think, with the fact that he's clearly injured, and 
like more injured than FSU wanted to let on. And he's not, and, and he's he's out there. He's going out of bounds. He's he's sliding, which is probably pretty smart for the long term. But in this game, to me, that was a clue. I'm, I'm sure to you as well. It was like, okay, this is not the reckless abandon and aggressiveness that he played with in prior in prior weeks. You can tell it from the second drive on, and then I think he gets hit again, maybe five minutes into the second quarter, where you can tell, like, yeah, it's not. He's not going to look normal the rest of the day, uh, and that's just. Does it come as a surprise? We'll see what happens with the bye week, uh, how much you can get, you know, cleaned up. But, uh, you know, the frustrating thing, and circling back to kind of what I said, is I don't know that we learned a ton. I, I don't know that we learned that a team's going to completely make adjustments and, uh, and you know, make him do things. Uh, because I, I think the situation of the game just dict- was the worst case possible for Florida State. Um, now, I, I will say when you go back and you look at some of the – Zone reads. There's certainly more respect for Travis. I mean, there's more. Uh, uh, you know, the guys on the backside don't necessarily go running off. You got people have eyes on him. Jordan Travis, the the college football player, is a known entity at this point uh, as far as a respect for him uh, as a player and what he can do with the ball. Um, but yeah, I don't know that we got a ton of answers. So we did see we did see Chubba Purdy. Uh, interesting situation. Obviously, anybody. He's going to talk about the number of drops that he sustained in 0 and 9 on his last or on his debut. It's an interesting throw in motion, bud. It's something that I mentioned last signing day. It's kind of an elongated motion with a quick release. It's it's a bizarre combination. He, he once he gets it, he gets it out pretty quickly. But he's kind of got a little bit of a wind up there. Uh, but he certainly does fit probably a little bit more with what Norvell wants to do in general. Uh, the ability to. Uh, put the ball downfield. Um, it'll it'll be fascinating to see how they manage this, how they bring the two along, uh, how they try to manage a kid that certainly has a, a ceiling as to what you can get out of him. And so does Purdy. I'm not trying to make Purdy into some, uh, you know, all-world prospect. The, the talent is, is endless there. But uh, I think his style of, uh, of being able to throw the ball downfield and also giving you a lot of the components in the run game that this kind of transition offense has been built around uh, certainly makes him an intriguing prospect for, for the back half of the season. I, I would agree with that. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the motion is long. M- my assumption here is that Mike Norvell knew that going in. And also, like, I really hope that Mike Norvell is not one of these coaches that thinks he can change a quarterback's motion substantially. I think there's a whole lot of evidence that like you can do it a little bit and maybe some incremental changes, but for the most part, when the bullets are live, your motion is your motion. The time to change a guy's motion is like, you know, middle school, early high school, right? And by the time you get to college, for the most part, your throwing motion is your throwing motion. We can work on footwork, but how you throw it is how you throw it. So if you're going to sign the kid, you need to be comfortable with how the kid throws. So I, I, I'm assuming he's okay with it because he's the one that greenlit the signing. Um, I was encouraged by some stuff that I, I saw from Purdy. I, I thought he had good ball placement on two of those drops. Uh, not all, but you know, on on two of them, the, the ball to Hilton there, I think is is a pretty impressive throw. I also thought that he uh, he looked plenty mobile. I mean, he's not Jordan Travis as an athlete, but like, look, Jordan Travis is athletic enough to probably legitimately play another position if 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 he wanted to. I'm not not suggesting that he should. Uh, Chubba Purdy does not have that level of athleticism in him. I I don't think, or at least he doesn't he doesn't play to that. Like I know there were some. He might be straight line faster. Uh, Jordan just has an incredible ability to make people miss. I mean, he's he's a good uh, you know real good carrier of the ball, and he's not slow. Uh, but he's a 
you know, he's got an ability to make people miss in tight spaces that you don't necessarily expect from a quarterback. Do you, when you see Purdy run, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine today. He's like, I, I, I read that Purdy ran a 4-4 at some camp. I was like, okay, number one, some of those camp times are real fake. I, I don't know what camp he ran a 4-4 at. Do you see 4-4 speed in him when he runs? Uh, I see straight line speed. I do see it. Uh, now, I, I don't know that that's a 4-4, but I can see where that kid would test reasonably well in – you know, a, a 40 or a 25 or something like that. Because once he, once he looks like he gets going, he's got pretty good straight line speed. Don't we'll have to see how, you know, if he's got the ability to make people miss in the open field, if, if uh, you know, his speed doesn't end up getting himself in, in some troubles or, or overconfident with it. But uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't see 4-4, but I, I could believe that a guy would run a 4-5-5 or something like that based off the, sure. the quick glimpses that we got of him. There's a couple things I like here, and, and because, like, if we're gonna if we're gonna maintain the narrative, and I believe it to be a true one, that like this is a year zero, and this is a legitimate rebuild, not not a restructuring, not not a reloading of the program, and, and that's what you sign up for when you fire a coach after just 21 games in the early signing period era, and you signed up for it before COVID even happened. Then I think we need to focus on some positives, right, and and focus on areas where we think this program can build and, and move forward from. Albeit after some of these games, there's not a whole lot. I think that the style of offense that Florida State is running right now is both, A, not what Mike Norvell wants to run long-term. I think the broadcast actually said that. We've been saying that for weeks, so credit Noel Cass on that one. Um, but B, really perfectly suited to incorporating Chuba and perhaps transitioning to Chuba. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think they're going to need both quarterbacks down the stretch. I, I don't think this is going to be to like go to Chuba Never look back. I, I suspect pretty strongly that they will need both. I think Chubba will have some bad games in which you're probably going to need to spell him some with Jordan. Or I think Jordan may, may have some bad games where, where you need to spell him some with Chubba. And normally I'm not a fan of rotating quarterbacks because I feel like it, it can you know erode confidence and mess with the rhythm. But that's not really what I'm all about this year. I'm about evaluating quarterbacks in different situations, putting them in, in some adversity, seeing how they react, seeing how they develop and, and run the offense. So honestly, dude, you know what I would do? I would play both. And if defenses know that you're a little bit more likely to pass with Chuba, that's fine. It, it's not like you're running two completely different offenses. This is not Matt Corral and, and John, John Rice Plumley at Ole Miss last year, where if Corral was in, it was a pass. And if Reese Plumley was in, it was some kind of wildcat run. Um, you know, Travis is a quarterback. He, he can throw the ball well enough to where you can't just play him and run solo and, and, and play some kind of you know 4-4 stack on him or some, or some crap. But I, I think that the style of offense they're running makes a lot of sense and can be transitioned next year to something a little bit less quarterback run heavy. And then maybe by 22 or 23, you know, you're really running more of what you want to run. I don't think they're going to be fully into their, you know, to their Mike Norvell Memphis offense next year they will have had one spring and one summer of it you know it's it's still going to be kind of rough i think but i i like what they're doing right now as far as being able to, tr to transition him in they clearly wanted to get him in the game some and just the style of his game his mobility i think fits pretty well do you think you're going to have to play too am i you disagree with that oh you're gonna to have to play too um i mean yeah i think you would have to play too in general i mean travis is uh a nice athlete, but certainly seems to be a guy that can sustain an injury or two. And also, if, you, if you're going to be playing Travis, uh, you've got to be put him in a place to sustain that injury. I mean, there's not that's his skill set. That's how this offense has 
in any of the you know modicum of, of uptick that we've talked about for a couple of weeks. So I, I don't think there's any way uh, of avoiding it. And to an extent, I, you know, I think you may still see a third quarterback get snaps at some point as well. At some point, I think an injury is probably going to take a guy out for a game. Uh, and so we, when that happens, we'll, you know, we'll talk and, and adjust accordingly. Anything else you want to say about the offense before we, uh, before we move away? Yeah. I, I mean, we, we need to touch on it. Everybody else has said it. It's the worst game the wide receivers have played that I can remember saying. And that's, uh, not a totally new thing. I mean, you know, even the North Carolina game, the first quarter was horrendous play from that unit. Um, that, that's a place that's got to get better. Uh, you know, you don't have superstars there, but you've got some pieces. There's no, there's no reason that this unit should be the detriment that it is. Man, it, it's frustrating because, like, there are certain things we could complain about that are more about, like, physical ability. You know, that, like, Keyshawn Hilton's never going to be, like, that, that, you know, four three long speed deep ball guy probably, right? He's also never going to be like like the big time, you know, jump ball dude. But it is frustrating because Mike Morvell, for the most part, seems to be scheming these guys open. This is something that he's very good at at doing. It's something that when, when we researched him, when FSU decided to hire him, and when he was a candidate, we found he does well, right? Like Norvell has a history of scheming guys WTFO, wide that open, right? So he's doing that. Now, they're not quite as wide open as they were at Memphis. You're playing better defenses, and I think your athletes are worse here, to be honest. But, well, maybe not anymore. Memphis just had a bunch of guys opt out. But prior to that, you know, like, like Coxie and those dudes he had last year uh, were, were... Certainly comparatively uh, yeah, speaking, right. you're, you're, at an, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. To the league, oh my God, yeah. The thing is, like, you got to catch the freaking ball. I now maybe they're anticipating badly thrown balls. Obviously, the, the one pass to McDonald the, on, on the play action, which is I think either after or before the Helton drop in the first quarter, was just I don't know where Jordan's throwing that ball. And he had some other bad throws, but at the same time, like the ones that are on target, we we need you to catch those at a much higher rate than than they were catching the football. Like that's just that's just poor. Um, so we'll have to see if they can develop that. I, that's something I think will get fixed, to be perfectly frank. Norvell was a receiver coming up. I mean, I, I, I think he's going to get that fixed. Maybe not this year. Maybe it'll start to get fixed next year. I will say the guys are recruiting right now. Burrell has pretty strong hands. And you know, if, if they're able to get Hill, formerly pays on, uh, then you know, he, he catches the ball pretty well. So. We'll see kind of how that goes. Also, I think this was a game that you, you kind of missed uh, you kind of missed Jordan Wilson in. That, that tight end room, it's not any good. It's Cam McDonald who's a decent player and then nothing else. You got walk-ons, you know, that, that they're walk-ons for a reason. I, I know Rector's on scholarship, but he's a walk-on quality player, I think. Yeah, you're, you're limited at skill positions right now. Also, to your point about, about uh, Jordan, um, about defenses adjusting, I definitely think that uh, that offenses are more scared of Jordan with the ball in his hands than they are if she's backs. They were playing to like they they were they were playing to to force the give. And now part of that is is the part of that is the uncertainty created when you have a quarterback running with the ball. I think they want to get it out of his hands as fast as possible. I think he got something to Robert Scott. 
Now, look, I know Louisville's defense is not good. It's still the worst defense FSU's played, probably. Although Georgia Tech is hard charging on that. Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech's D-line is now kind of playing like I thought Georgia Tech's D-line would play for most of the year, which is terrible. I think they had three tackles for loss total against Boston College. But, man, like, Robert Scott's playing fairly well. I'm encouraged. Interested to see if they, if they get Schrader more involved down the stretch, but that's that's encouraging. Devontae Glove Taylor's playing okay. I, I I think this is a a fairly solid uh, fairly solid group. So we got to do this right. Um, I guess we got to talk about the defense, which honestly, like the offense was disappointing, fourteen points. The defense was very disappointing. Uh, I think we had some optimism, but also some concerns entering the game. Uh, we didn't know how they would react to uh, a, a new challenge in playing more of a zone scheme. They had just, just played, you know, two gap schemes in a row. And um, Ingram, I think that they reacted to the challenge poorly uh, is, is probably how, how I would say that. We wanted four or fewer super big plays in this game. Do you recall how many they had? Uh, I know that they hit four so quickly that it was uh, it was depressing. I mean, I don't remember exactly how many they had, but uh, pretty much every possession they they hit a super big. Uh, so they had seven, so nearly double. It's like this Louisville offensive drive brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's supersized today. Like, ugh. Uh, yeah. So before garbage time, 66, 58, 42, 70, 35, 33, 41. Mm. That is very, very tough to stomach. About 10 yards of play allowed for garbage time. I will say, like, there were some things on offense that I didn't see in the live watch. On defense, there were fewer. On defense, to me, it was kind of obvious watching live what was going on. Also, you didn't really make Louisville win in the red zone often enough because you allowed so many long scores. So, like, I feel like we need to give that an incomplete grade, but also it's kind of a failure as well. So, not, not a really not a passing grade there. Starting with positives, I thought like Marvin Wilson was pretty decent for you in this game overall. Louisville clearly respected him still and tried to throw doubles it doubles his way. Got him a good bit. A uh, couple of chop blocks that could have been called at Warren as well. Yeah, not initially though. Yeah, not initially. Like initially, I, I think that they were they were thinking they could they could handle him, and and he kind of gave it to him. Uh, so did Cooper at times. But then they, they they went to a lot a lot of the cuts on the backside, which is a pretty common thing that uh, you know zone zone blocking teams, especially some of these outside zone teams, do. FSU handled okay. So there's like three or four buckets we can break this stuff down into. FSU and I discussed this a little bit on the instant, but this is a little more a little more in depth. Their job of handling the cutbacks in this game is like a teaching tape of what not to do. Like this was exceptionally just oh my god bad. Um, you have safeties running into linebackers. That's a pretty good indicator that somebody's in the wrong spot most of the time. Like I don't think Adam Fuller has done the best job in the world so far this year, but I'm pretty sure he didn't draw it up to where like your safety should run into your backer. Uh, the angles they took in pursuit, especially in terms of, of maintaining gap integrity on the backside, maintaining backside contain, were, were really, really bad. Uh, Louisville hit several big-time runs off that. So that was that was one of the one of the main things right there. And the thing is, that's not now the one Atwell run. Atwell makes a great play, but you're also really, really doing a poor job of, of contain there, and you allow him to make that great play. Physically, the play he made was awesome, but it probably doesn't happen if you're 
you don't even need to make a good play physically on your end. You just need to kind of be in the right spot. And Atwell doesn't have near the angle he has to outrun everybody. Um, that's that first long run that that global broke off. The thing is, and I knew this going in, and this is why I think some of the guys who I know were worried about this and their loser habits and, and not not taking this stuff seriously and not, and not building upon last week, the cutback is not, it's not like a last resort thing. It's a part of the design of this offense. You know that's one of their major weapons they do. If you're like, gosh, if you're a Falcons fan for, for the longest time, I don't, I don't, I haven't watched Falcons this year, but like, you know, Shanahan ran that stuff into the ground. That's what, that's part of what it is. They look, they look for opportunities to cut the ball back against the grain. And FSU handled that poorly. They handled the cut blocks. This is probably my only real criticism of the defensive line that is specific to this game. They did not play the cut blocks, cut blocks well with their hands at all. I have a friend who's a line coach and I was texting with, texting with him earlier. He's like, yeah, man, they're, they're just, they're just hard charging into it and, and, and getting their legs chopped out from under them. Not chop blocked, although there were a couple in this game. Some of them were called, by the way. So not, not all misses. But yeah, as far as defending the run, most of the problems, I think, were on the secondary and the backers. A little bit of problems with, with defensive end. Interior defensive line, I was mostly okay with. Um, now, what that tells me is that A, they're not playing good team defense. This this team makes too many mistakes that I think are kind of team related, and that that's kind of a weak weak way of saying. That. I'm trying to think, figure out how to say this. Like they don't play to get, they don't play good team defense together, right? They don't they don't play complementary football as far as okay, you have to be here, so that means I have to be not also there, right? I need to be <laughs> over here, um, and they also like in the back end and also at backer. They, they tend to lack physicality. But the thing is, against North Carolina, they were physical. And so to me, at least at times, uh, this game, they did not show that physicality very much, especially not after things started going poorly and it really snowballed on them. So I, I think that they are, there's a combination of some dudes who are playing kind of flat-footed and not understanding what they're supposed to do or the game's too fast for them, you know, and they're not like playing within the, within the constructs of the defense because they don't understand what they're doing. And there's some guys I think who are just out there freelancing right now. And when you have those things going on, you're liable to give up 10 yards of play, which is absolutely insane that I just said that, but that's what happened. Well, at the end of the second half, bud, they were giving up 10 yards of play on first down. That's, that's tough stomach, except you know what? Every other down, they were giving up 13 yards of play. So that was, uh, that was kind of give you an idea as to where they were. So, um, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's, you know, we, on these game reviews, we try to keep it, uh, you know, keep it focused in on you know, week by week performance, but sound the alarm as far as concern for defense for me. And I'm not saying all fire full or anything else, but this is a mess, not getting better. And it doesn't get better next year. I mean, you have a massive talent exodus from this defense. And I know people are, don't want to hear about recruiting rankings or whatever else, but Kendo and J Rob turned into Griffiths and McClendon next year. Uh, Marvin, turns into True Thompson. Uh, Sante Samuels probably declares. There are some elite, relatively speaking, pretty great pieces uh, on that side of the ball. You're not going to have that next year. Uh, or if you do, it's at a much smaller level. Maybe you get a guy like Darden to come back. Uh, maybe Robert Cooper continues to develop. But as far as some of the guys that can 
you know, in theory, win you 1v1 matchups or individual matchups, you're only going to become more dependent upon scheme and the ability to execute that scheme. And, oh boy, this defense is not headed in a, in a good direction at all, uh, whether it be from a, a week-per-week perspective or kind of when you look long-term as to some of the pieces that you're going to have to fight these battles. I'm not worried in the long term about FSU's defense. I still consider next year the short term. Like next year is year one for this coaching staff to me. When I say this is year zero, I mean it. I'm not judging them based on this year. Like I think it's nice they found like a two game solution on offense to, that allowed them to win, you know, one game they otherwise shouldn't have. And then they got smoked on offense this game. I, you also have more guys on that side of the ball who I think like the defense has been better than the offense for a couple of years now, at least in their own minds and certainly sometimes in the stats. So I think they're more, they're more susceptible to kind of doing their own thing, you know, uh, whereas the offense has been kind of beaten down for a while, I guess. And I think the defense has more sort of renegade personalities on it and more older guys, quite frankly, than the offense does. I think there's some truth to that. I do. Uh, I also think that while you, you, you will treat it as a year zero, Fans are going to remember if you go out and put the worst defense in, in school history on the field. I mean, there, there you do have to get better here. Th- this is uh, problematic, and and I talk at times about. You think they will? Yeah, I think they will. Just because the the quality competition down the stretch. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, so the defense will get better because after you face touchdown Jesus here uh, or whatever you want to call uh, Trevor. Everybody else is kind of crap, just to speak real candid uh, as to what you see from uh, from opposing offenses. So statistically, the defense will get better. There's a you know, there's certainly a lot of skepticism as to the leadership of this this unit right now, what they're trying to do. And uh, I do think you're right. You got some older personalities. You got some guys that are more willing to freelance, uh, and that's probably a little bit easier to do on on defense as well. I mean, it's you know. Not to say that we've never seen it, but it's not like the tackle just randomly decides to try to block the, uh, you know, the opposite defense alignment or something like that, where on defense you see guys just randomly take off and, and do things that is certainly is not part of the scheme. Long story short, Adam Fuller's got to do a better job, and uh, everybody associated with the defense has to do a better job. It's embarrassing. doesn't pair with the defense, with the talent overall. You've got a big hole at linebacker. Everybody knew that. Uh, but otherwise, you've got pieces to work with. And, uh, you know, maybe we realize that Renardo Green's a much more important part of this defense than uh, than we did otherwise, but uh, inexcusable from what we saw from the defense. Yeah, and I, I don't think the safeties are, are playing very well either. You know, playing good run defense is, is an active thing, and they, they I feel like they need to do a much better job coming up, making tackles, you know, like that's that's something that you have to do in every defense. Right, like like there are too many gaps to defend with just your just your front. You have to have the entire team help you play defense. I this might sound crazy, but I'm actually like I I think that they will have a better defense next year than they will this year, which is absolutely bonkers if you think about who who they potentially lose off this defense. Yeah, it kind of sounds crazy to me. It does. I'd be I'd be very surprised by that. I mean, right now they're they're 86 in the country. I think that they will be better next year on the, assuming that like the COVID stuff is over and we're able to get an actual spring, you know, and and a real off season. I I think they're going to play better team defense next year. Uh, But yeah, like they, I think they gave too much 
to this defense, assuming that they would know or know certain things, know certain techniques. I think some of these guys have a little more clarity now, but some of them are also confused. And they didn't handle Louisville. Like, you know, I, I don't want to overreact to to this game and and in this year when we also didn't overreact to last week. Like we were excited about last week. We we're excited because they flashed potential, but we also, hell, both of us said in the preview, like they could get their ass blown out. Right. Like it's 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 possible with this team. Pass game wise, there's different stuff going on. Florida State can't get a pass rush with its front four. J Rob has never been a good pass rusher, hasn't wasn't really developed. Kendo also really has not been developed. A lot of that is because he's been hurt and just hasn't really been around to to be developed. But you have two long guys on the outside who are not real bursty, who have some power. They don't really have a lot of refined moves. They they don't look they don't look really like any look better than they did last year for the most part. Although you know Kendo was you know not in for much last year, so you're having to blitz an awful lot, and. In the last six quarters, you've kind of gotten exposed in your in some of your blitz coverages. And your and in, in, you know the two quarters against North Carolina, you came out and you blitzed them quite a bit. I think you have a bit of a, a conundrum here. We talked about this in the pregame show. Like, okay, you probably want to try to play more zone against Louisville because of, of, of the run threat quarterback, because of his scramble ability. But you're a pretty bad zone team, so now you're going to have to try to play some man, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, they, they had more safety issues in, in coverage in this game. Um, you also, Louisville was able to get Jarvis Brownlee singled up on Tutu Atwell. I think Brownlee's actually got to be a pretty damn good player for you and somebody who I think could make a leap next year. Uh, but he's also not somebody I really want covering Tutu Atwell one-on-one with, with, with the two-way go in the slot. And Louisville was able to get him singled up and, and they, they got him on a big... There are things there that they have to do better and smarter. And there's just a lot of guys on this defense, man. Like, this is why I think next year's defense is going to be better than this year's defense. Like, there's a lot of guys on this defense who just either don't have or don't play with any kind of football smarts, personally. Like, that's just, that's what I see. They do stuff that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense within the context of what I think the defensive call is. That also could be interpreted as they're not well coached. You know, like they, they certainly don't look like they're improving a whole lot from week to week. We'll, we'll see if, if they are. Uh, but also keep in mind, like if they look better down the stretch, it could just be because some of the offenses they're about to face are, are not, maybe not that good. Virginia did get its quarterback back. NC State will not have its QB back. Pitt, I, I'm anticipating they'll have Kenny Pickett back. Um, that's, that would be a month for him, and, unless he really did have the ankle surgery that they're not talking about. Uh, Clemson will have touched, yeah, like, like you said, we'll have Trevor Lawrence, and Duke has not been very good on offense. So, just fewer positives to point to from that side of the football. Uh, they, they tried Leonard Warner at defensive end, like they are trying different things. If, if, if that's a positive, I can give them. Like they're not just sticking with the same system that's not working. They, they've they've played man, they've played zone, they've blitzed backers, they've blitzed safeties, they blitz corners. They, they've you know they they've, they've dropped eight. They've tried about everything. I knew that everybody's real greasy, uh, real really wanting to see Gainer play that position. I'm I'm not sure that's ever going to work uh, as far as Gainer as a pass rusher. I mean, maybe situationally, but I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know that that kid is made all the better by having to engage an offensive line immediately. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. He seems like like so he's clearly a physical guy, but he doesn't really play all that well in tight spaces. 
he's almost like a guy who has physicality, but needs to be in open space. Does that make sense? He's got to get kind of got to get a little bit of a head start. Uh, he's got to got to run downhill. We'll see. We'll see where you find room for him. Uh, he's, he's a good player. I'm not trying to knock him, but I, I know everybody's uh, want is to say, oh, we'll let him take some of Jay Rob's snaps. I don't personally, I don't know that that ever develops that way. So, uh, although, hey, I will say this, Ingram, I, the way they're having to play Jay Rob at that Fox position, I don't necessarily think is the way they want to play that Fox position normally. Right, like they don't have an ideal guy for Fox because the Williams kid they got from Baylor just can't play. There, there's a reason he's available, and J. Rob in coverage athletically, J. Rob can't hold Gainer's jock athletically. So I do wonder, like, if they're asking him to play the Fox role like J. Rob is currently playing the Fox role, then I want 100% agree with you, and you might be right on this regardless of how they ask him to play it. But I am interested in seeing him play it. Differently, more, more of that kind of off ball, more out of the two point, more involved in in, in coverage, you know, uh, to give you a, a variety of looks in coverage. So I guess I, I'd be open to seeing it more uh, just from kind of how they want him to play it. Warner, though, in that, like, I just think you're probably done with Warner. They moved him, still didn't work. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, you know, you got some nice pieces, but uh, not a whole lot of answers on that side of the ball right now. They clearly have problems at safety right now, man. I mean, like like Lars Woodby is not playing well at all. They were playing, um, they were playing the freshman. Uh, Sidney Williams was out there at safety, some like, like a true freshman who was like a two way dude in high school, and also I think busted up his leg at some point. Gantt uh, makes some mistakes. I will say there are plays where Gantt. Uh kind of does the the football geometry of there you are, I need to run to this point to tackle you, maybe better than anybody else on the defense. So there are occasionally nice moments to where uh, I'm impressed with what you see out of Gantt, but uh, certainly some a lot of work that needs to be done there as well. How much better is Travis Jay right now if he didn't get hurt and, and miss, miss that one game in a couple weeks of practice? You know, like Yeah, tra- Travis Jay doesn't look like the same player to me. And he's, he's not somebody that we have a ton of tape on, but... Uh, and not that I expect him to necessarily make that play on Atwell. You think he's banged up? Yeah. I think he's playing with an injury. Absolutely. Yeah. I do too. I do. So, so you know, as far as reasons for hope, I think you can get something out of, out of Lundy and Dix. Uh, you know, next year, I, I think Gantt-Jay is not, doesn't have to be a terrible combination for, for all, all eternity. You know, if they're confident enough to put Sidney Williams in there, now maybe I'm misinterpreting their desperation as confidence. Right. I mean, that's, that's possible. Yeah. That was a, that was a real, I'm sorry, guys, we're trying to stay positive. We're trying to focus on things that are, that are focusing long-term and, you know, on, on hashtag climb or whatever. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of positive to talk about with the defense right now. Um, ultimately, you want to go a little listener questions here and, uh, and then get out of here. Yeah. We'll get a couple questions in. We've got, uh, obviously a bye week here and a couple shows to fill. Um, so we'll, we'll keep a couple of these in our back pocket as always. We'll thank our friends at Madison social and, uh, you hear me talk about the Reuben sandwich all the time and, and some of the other great things they do. Uh, really, I should probably be reminding you guys as to the burger that's available on every Monday, $5. I mean, $5 for an incredible hamburger and, uh, and set of French fries. That's uh, you're going to be paying more if you go to Wendy's and you get something that's spent three months in a freezer. I mean, seriously, uh, give that consideration. Uh, it's the So Classic Burger. 
you can go online and see it. It's a, it's a, it's a damn good cheeseburger. That's what it looks like on a, on a great bun, uh, side of fries, $5, friendly on your budget. Uh, Matt Thompson, his team, great supporters at Nolcast, great supporters of Florida State Athletics. Uh, give them a, uh, you know, give, give them your business whenever possible, please. That is what we ask of you. And we're fortunate to be able to pair with people that uh, make, you know, giving them your business such an enjoyable experience. So thank you to Matt. Thank you to his team. And uh, we certainly look forward to seeing you guys soon. All right. So Josh, Josh is the master of uh, long-winded questions. We don't have time to read the entire thing, but basically, you know, he, he spoke about how, uh, you know, the last couple of years, uh, the Bowden era, uh, 06 to 09, he had an SP plus rank of 34th and only had four games. Uh, they lost by 20 points or more. Uh, 2017 to current, uh, they've averaged 54th, currently 77th, uh, and have already sustained 10 plus losses of 20 points. Talked about the blue chip ratio, uh, which I actually created. So I appreciate that. And he says, my, my question to you both is why, why we have the, these last four seasons seem so, so ugly in terms of the quality of play compared to that of 06 09. I thought I had it bad in college when I saw Bowden's last four years, but looking at how 17 to 20 has gone, I would give almost anything for quality of play to look the way. It was from 06 to 09 compared to what it uh, looked like for those four seasons. Your thoughts? I, I would say mostly continuity was like the, the glaring thing there. Continuity and the, the lack of development that comes from it. You had a coaching staff under Jimbo that was checked out in his final year um, and a staff that he would not fire some of his friends on that should not have probably been coaching at FSU. You know, like, we talk about the quality of the Willie staff, right? And where some of those guys are now. I think those last Jimbo staffs are kind of neck and neck with them in, in, in like a lot of those positions, right? So, you know, you got guys with substance abuse problems. You got like just a lot of dudes who were not developing players well and a total lack of continuity. Now, some of these guys have had three or four different position coaches in as many years. Like, this is why I, I laugh at all this. Let's, let's go fire Adam Buller talk. Like, if this defense is terrible next year, then maybe you talk about making a change. But man, like they need continuity more than anything, in my opinion. Like that's the number one factor for me. Yeah, they need continuity, and this is not a group. Uh, I think that you can come in and try to convince them that the last guy was horrible, and that you need to listen to the next guy. I mean, <laughs> you've tried to sell them on that message. Message what? Uh, How many of them you have ever heard of Mike Norbell before he got hired? Yeah, well, none of them. Well, I don't. I don't want to say I, none. No, maybe I bet you a couple. Maybe yeah, none is too strong. But they don't um, follow college football like fans do. Like these players don't know the names of other coaches on, on other teams unless that guy recruited them. You know, and Mike Norvell wasn't recruiting most of the guys on this team because they were higher level recruits. I'll also say I know it didn't end great, uh, but like for the people who went to school during the last decade, uh, granted some of his ideas had had wandered, and we weren't really ever great at covering the tight end under Mickey. But you're still looking at one of the best defense coordinators to ever coach football. Uh, so I I know that again as at, at the end there mickey wasn't necessarily the at the forefront of of the new wave that was kind of coming into college football you still had a you still had one of the best to ever do it and maybe there's a little bit more respect for that when you look back at some of these stats 10 years later so well and and also like let's recall that like a lot of these spread offenses were born out of the necessity to beat some of these defenses that guys like mickey andrews was running like uh, you know, the Stoops brothers and, and that whole crew at Kansas State. I mean, like Urban Meyer will tell you, 
and he's talked about this on TV before, that I don't know if he claims to have invented the spread option stuff, but like the zone read and and that that type of thing where they're actually utilizing the quarterback run game. I mean, that, that was around in the 20s, but people really hadn't run that for quite a while. Like that came when Meyer was coaching the scout team at Kansas State, allegedly. Right. So I mean, it was born out of necessity to try to find some way to move the ball against these defenses that were very, very you know, some of these these eight-man front defenses that were extremely popular back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, they, they did have a legendary defense coordinator. Now, uh, the real, I mean, they had some issues there in 08 defensively. Uh, part of that, too, was personnel-based. And then 09, it was, it was just a total mess, obviously. Um, but continuity is my main answer to this. You know, not, not being patient being rash to make moves. Uh, all right, Matt asks, obviously beating UNC is the high watermark for the Norville era at this point, but what would be the low point? So many disappointments to dwell on. Is it the lack of readiness for Georgia Tech game? Dismantling the fans of uh, rival UM being down two scores, but off of 39 seconds, the first half against Jackson State. Or is it the letdown meltdown against Louisville this past weekend? I'm not sure I can pick one and say this is rock bottom. Like I thought it could after the UM loss. How would you rank these in order of substitute. I looked at Miami as more uh, as more a program problem. Louisville, I'm a little bit more to put this on the coaching staff, uh, just personally. So I don't know that that necessarily answers Matt's question. Uh, Louisville is the worst loss of the year, in my opinion. Louisville's not a very good football team, doesn't have a, a very good quarterback, has some nice skill pieces, but uh, what happened last Saturday, I can't really sign off on. What happened against Miami? Uh, I can kind of pieces v pieces. I can kind of make sense of and and accept. Not not what happened against Louisville. Miami has a lot better players than you do. Yeah, like the the Miami result makes a lot of sense. So you look at Miami's players, look at Florida State's players. Diaz has been around there for a long time, developing them. They hit on a transfer quarterback. Yeah, Jacksonville State to me doesn't. It's hard. It's hard to rank that because like they did come back, but clearly like at that time being down two scores for most of the first half is embarrassing. I I think I'll I, I kind of want to say Georgia Tech because that's clearly the worst team you've lost to this year by by a lot. Uh, and if you look at like the component box scores in that game, you probably should have lost by like two scores or you know more. Um, FSU was kind of lucky that that wasn't a blowout, but at the same time. They just got to work with their team. Yeah, season opener in a COVID year. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time saying that's the most disappointing one. Like, I'm not super disappointed, like crazy disappointed in, in most of these. Just because I, I, I don't know, man. That, that, that like, hey, we're just trying to get through the year thing. Keeps ringing in my head every time I watch football now. You know, but I'll agree with you. I, I think Louisville just, especially because you knew that like Louisville's offense is inconsistent and the way that you have to beat them is by not allowing them to have the super bigs. I mean, that's literally why we changed the goals category in the pregame and said, Hey, you got to do this. And I still were not able to do it. Matthew's question question. We actually already, uh, uh, we already discussed. He wanted to know, uh, should you move forward with Cheva Purdy? I, I, I think that they have to, move, you know, I think you need to continue to incorporate Cheva Purdy. I don't really care who starts. I think you're going to need both guys to get reps down the stretch, especially because Cheva's already got hurt one time and he's not going to be an effective enough thrower right now to move the offense. I don't think just based on his arm, he's going to have to run too. So you're probably going to need both these guys. Uh, Chris with the D looking so bad, do you see any obvious places uh, where improvement could be made? 
specific issue of secondary D line. I know the linebackers are hoarding coverages. Can't be that simple. Yeah, uh, they, they could really use Bernardo and or Hamza to come back. That would that would help them quite a bit as far as the run stopping. You know, help them with your run fits from from the safety position. They, they could also use some help at defensive end. Um, the the safety run stopping is not an issue I saw coming. I, I put that on me as far as you know analysis. The defensive ends we we knew were probably going to be a problem, especially outside of Kando. Uh, something we nailed. You know, we, we didn't buy into this Josh Griffiths hype. I saw him enough in high school to where I'm, I'm not in love. I think linebacker also comes to place that if you can get a good one in the transfer portal, you take. I mean, you you need help there desperately at this point. Um, and if that's that's a place where maybe I wouldn't have thought he would need as <clears throat> as desperate need of, but that may be one of the three places that you you need to augment your roster in as quick of a manner as possible. Did you read my article, by the way, on uh, l- last week on uh, schools deciding how many transfers to take versus how many high school kids to take? Mm-mm, no, no, I didn't see that, but it's going to be... I don't know if I got a chance to pitch this yet, but this is something I think you guys should read. Um, the money quote in there is, why would I take a high school kid I've never seen and maybe make a four-year mistake when I can take a two-year transfer who I know might not be anything special, but can be physically decent enough to at least play on my roster and belong, I don't want to make a four-year mistake. That's not from a guy on Florida State staff, but if it was, it would make a whole lot of sense. You know, I mean, especially if you're on one of these new staffs that has never had a chance to go out and evaluate guys. So I would expect to have a shoot to hit the transfer portal pretty hard. And if that means taking fewer high school recruits, uh, I think that's probably fine because I'm not really sure that the, the any more guys you add in high school right now are necessarily going to be guys that are going to help you long-term. Uh, why don't we take Derek's question, then we'll uh, we'll save the rest for the for the future of the pod. Uh, Derek asks, how important is the back half of the schedule from a recruiting standpoint? Clemson excluded. Florida State's remaining remaining opponents currently have a combined record of nine and fifteen. What would a three and two or even a four and one finish to close the season mean for the staff as they prepare for what we hope is a more traditional offseason in twenty twenty one? You know, I was kind of laughing at the idea of a four and one finish. It's very unlikely. It's not like completely impossible. Uh, if you use SP plus right now to figure this out, it's about a 6% chance. 6% shot is not great, but it's not like, you know, it's not a 50 to one shot. Uh, and, you know, keep in mind SP plus is going to have stuff like NC state probably rated a little bit higher than they're currently playing. Cause they have three games, Devin Leary and, and two of Hockman, you know, we'll see. We'll see if Pittsburgh get, gets their guy back. If Kenny Pickett doesn't get back, by the way, I'm pretty sure I have to pick FSU over Pitt in that game. If he's back, I'm probably going to pick Pitt to win. So I think Pitt's D-line will, will beat the hell out of FSU's offensive line. Um, as far as the question, I wish I probably should have just answered this late at night. I think it's important that you get at least one more win. I think if you go like 2-9 and nine and you finish the year on... What would that be? A six-game losing streak. I think that's pretty bad. That's that's tough to sell. But it's not impossible to sell, and you can literally go out there and just tell these kids, "Look, man, we know what we're doing." I took freaking Memphis, you know, to to the to a BCS bowl or New Year's Six bowl. We didn't get any time to work with these guys, which is accurate, and we had a lot of dudes who didn't want to buy in. You know, we're, we're trying to reshape our culture. Now, if you do get some wins here, like let's be realistic here. What, what do you think FSU is going to finish if you have to pick one record right now? 
I think four and seven is probably the most likely. Yeah, four and seven, and I think you probably go to some crap bowl game and win it. That's that's my opinion as to what happens. Um, if if we even have bowls, uh, I will say this. You know, I, I think it's possible. First of all, I, I don't think God, if this if they end with two wins, this this will be a rough rough place. Um, that would be a situation where the team just basically quits. And I do think we're going to have some teams do that in college football. By the way, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm digging on here. So these teams having these shitty years, like what's the incentive for them to keep playing unless they really love football? And I'm pretty damn sure, Ingram, that a lot of these guys in this team don't love football and don't care about playing football that much. I think they care about some of the benefits that you get from playing football at a big school. Like what's the incentive for them to stay in the COVID protocol? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. And that's something we've talked about for for a while and is a a dangerous byproduct of the kind of the back end of the season is as guys kind of start to see the finish line. You know, I, I think the staff is, is decent recruiters. I would say that the early uh, feedback is that the staff, you know, needs as good of a, a record as possible to go out on the trail. And, and, you know, again, that's, I'm kind of proverbial speaking right now as nobody's going out on the trail, but uh, you know, this, this staff needs as good of a, uh, an end product to sell. And uh, I think winning three of the remaining five games uh, is something that you kind of need. Uh, you need to at least win four, hopefully you win five and you can start to sell guys on the transition, the oddity of the year and uh, what the program will look like moving forward. But um, yeah, I mean, the schedule does get easier. You do face some guys that you should beat up on in theory um, hopefully you'll get a, a little bit of injury luck and, and Florida State can stay relatively unaffected by COVID and uh, we'll just have to see. But so far through, uh, you know, through six games, it's been uh, a lot of highs and a lot of lows and uh, maybe you'll see a little bit more of consistency in the second half of the season. It's certainly possible. I, I think that the chance this team gets better is higher than the chance this team gets worse. Now, part of that is because there's more room to, to get better. but. I'll give you this as a frame of reference, right? FSU so far has played in SP Plus teams ranked 64th, 19th, 7th, 13th, and 39th. Okay, so that's three teams in the top 20, one top 10 team, and then another team in the top 40. Their remaining opponents, you have one team in the top 40. That's Clemson. It's not that FSU is guaranteed to beat these teams, and I think they're going to be an underdog I'm not going to say in all remaining games, probably four of their five remaining, they'll be dogs. But what I am saying is if you're playing that quality of team, that's the kind of quality of team that may not have the ability to blow you out if you stub your toe a little bit, right? That pro- that quality of team, if Norvell can just keep preaching to these guys, keep fighting, keep swinging, right? Don't give up. This thing will turn. Those are the type of games that I do believe that kind of philosophy can pay off in because you're not immediately buried necessarily like you are against Louisville. Those are the kind of games where if you're just giving it to the opponent, okay, whatever, then then everybody's going to score if you just blow coverages. But if you make them earn it, if you make them fight for it, the, some of those teams are, are kind of limited like you are right now. And you will have a chance in some of those games. Not Clemson. Obviously, that's a little bit different. Other than that, that's that's pretty much that. Really appreciate all the five stars on iTunes you guys give us. That's, that's a really big factor. In our success. So if you like the show, uh, very much appreciate giving that. And that written review is awesome as well. Tell us how much you love us or I guess how much we stink as long as you give us five stars. Uh, I'm sure we, we, we do read them all. 
And we look forward to another episode or two coming up, a little mailbag, maybe a little uh, little deep dive on stuff. We'll have to figure out what we want to do with that. But we're, we're at the bye week, man. Not been, uh, not been great. <laughs> uh, hasn't been great, but we're certainly fortunate to be able to do it. We'll uh, be back in a couple days. Until then, it's been the Nullcast. This has been the Nullcast. The Nullcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.